Well, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter number 11, Hebrews and chapter 11. And then also, if you would, find your place in Exodus and chapter number two. So Hebrews 11, we'll just read there in our scripture reading, and then we'll go back to Exodus 2, where this is um, referencing as part of our uh, effort here today to be an encouragement, a help to uh, moms, and really to all of us, uh, for sure. Good to have uh, guests here this morning as well, some that were here for a homeschool graduation. I think there was eight or nine, I can't remember the exact number of graduates, and uh, we just had a great time here yesterday, and thankful for that, and others that were here for another graduation at uh, HBA, Heartland Baptist Academy, and so we're glad to welcome each and every one. There may be some here, we're getting ready to have a graduation preaching conference beginning tomorrow night. Information about that's in the bulletin, I'll just let you check that out. Uh, we're getting ready to have that, so we, we most likely have some even in early uh, for that meeting, so we're glad to welcome everyone. And then of course, just those of you here from the Metro, we're glad that you're here and a part of the service this morning for sure. All right, well, in honor of Mother's Day, we're going to step aside from our series in uh, Matthew, and I've really enjoyed preaching through Matthew. By the way, thank you for praying for the meeting there in, uh, in Michigan. Uh, sure had a good meeting. I may say more about that tonight. Appreciate the preaching that went on here last Sunday where Ted preached, and, and I know that was a blessing. Then bus day, heard that was just excellent. want to rejoice in that, and the bus ministry, and Brother Greg preaching, and then Brother David Perkle preaching on Wednesday night. So I thank God for the preaching that took place here and look forward to getting to it uh, here today in honor of, of motherhood, which is designed by God. It's a blessing. All right, let's read a little bit about it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 23. Hebrews 11, the writer here who I believe to be Paul is writing to encourage people that know the Lord, that are in some hard times, that are tempted to go back uh, to... What they came from, I think we all can relate there, right? Sometimes, you know, just be easier not to try to live the Christian life. It's hard. Anybody understand that? It's not easy. It's not easy. And they were having some struggles. This chapter in particular is showing some who went through adversity to do God's will in their life. Let's read about it now in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months what does it say? Of his what? Of his parents. So his mom and dad both involved. Because they saw he was a proper child there. He was a handsome young man. He was a goodly child. Um, he was, they just saw something special about this young man. Yeah. All right. It says, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, we need to understand that. We'll get to it in the preaching. But what you're going to see as we keep reading is a lot of the traits that they had and a lot of the faith and courage, bravery rooted in a relationship with God, a lot of what they had shows up in their son named Moses. All right Now, watch how this plays out. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God 
than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. Notice this very important phrase, for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Do you, do you remember back in 23? It said that they, didn't, they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Well, look what their son does. Not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible through faith. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. And then it goes on and picks up the story under the leadership of Joshua. So we'll stop there. And we're not going to really deal with all the phrases in this text and all that it covers. So here's the title today. In fact, I'm including this in our series. Our, our uh, theme this year is Into His Harvest. Okay, so there's just a brief tie I'm going to make into that, not to try to stretch it or anything. I think you'll see it as we get into it. But here's the title for this morning's message. Preparing your children for their God-given mission. Preparing your children for their God-given mission. I mean, you say, well, my kids are already raised. And in fact, some, don't you wish that in parenting there was like a mulligan every now and then where you could, like, could I do part of that over? I think every parent here today would say, I'd like to redo that part or that part. Or, you're, Am I right about that? Yeah, there's no mulligans, right? But there is forgiveness and there is help. And, um, and listen, um, I want to broaden the application of this to all of us because uh, as we're part of this church family and we're interacting with one another, we're helping one another to prepare for the mission that God's given each of us. Okay. But I, I don't mind to make application here today and intend to preparing your children for their God-given mission. And then, and then this, um, and listen carefully to this. I, I want, I've got some more work I want to try to do on this, but I, I think this captures part of it. Raising children, Ms. Becca just saying a moment ago, raise them for Jesus, Right. Raising children for their future in a country that has forgotten what God did in their past. Okay? Now, I thought about shortening that just a little bit. Raising children for their future in a country that has forgotten their past. But the key part of that really is they've forgotten what God did in their past. So I have found great relevance here, once again, in God's Word. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. We're going to get to it here this morning. <clears throat> My wife Angie sent this quote to me, and this is the only time I'm going to make to the theme, but it certainly does help, <clears throat> help us maybe to get thinking a little bit. Matthew Henry uh, wrote this, Christ is the Lord of the harvest. And this is a, a quote out of our verses about, you know, uh, the harvest truly is plenteous. The number of people needing to be saved, the number of people needing to hear about Jesus, they are so many. But the laborers are few. The laborers are few. 
Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So Matthew Henry wrote about that passage. Christ is the Lord of the harvest. And then he said this, let us pray that many may be raised up and sent forth who will labor in bringing souls to Christ. And then, then I love this, and we're, we're not going to take the time to really flesh this out. It is a sign that God is about to bestow some special mercy upon a people when he stirs them up to pray for it. It's a sign that God, we might say it this way. Let, let me, he wrote many years ago. Let me, let me translate it into our vernacular. You ready? It's a sign that God's about to do something big when he stirs his people up to pray about it. Well, we've been stirred to pray about some things, namely the harvest. And commissions given to laborers in answer to prayer are most likely to be successful. That's, that's a wonderful quote. But I thought, about it, I thought about it this way. If the Lord of the harvest intends, and I believe he does, if he plans to send forth laborers into his harvest, then he must use someone to raise them up. So why would he not use you as parents to raise up laborers for his harvest? I believe he intends to. And I realize today every missionary on the field or every soul winner that's in a church doesn't always come from a godly home. I'm thankful that God can intervene in a person's life. And even though maybe you didn't have a, a, a good godly upbringing, hey, that doesn't mean God can't use you. Please don't think that for one millisecond, okay? Because God's able to do that and start something new in you. But those of you that are parents, I think that we ought to listen to the song that we just heard a moment ago and that there are thousands of reasons why we could raise them up. But let's raise them up for Jesus, amen. God used Moses' mom, Jochebed, and their names are given elsewhere, Amram and Jochebed, to, uh, to prepare Moses for his God-given mission. I love the quote by uh, Winston Churchill. I'm reading a lot about Winston Churchill right now during World War II uh, era. And, and he said this, it's one of my favorite quotes by him, to each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing, unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which would be their finest hour. Well, I'm thankful that when Winston Churchill was figuratively tapped on the shoulder to do his finest hour, I'm glad that he was prepared for that. But, but you, might, you might or you might not know much about it. I don't really know much about his upbringing, but he did say this about his mom. My mom made a brilliant impression upon my childhood. She shone for me like, an, like the evening star. <laughs> Moms, I just want to tell you today, you play an incredibly significant role in preparing your kids and your grandkids for their God-given mission. And what I know what you want to do is you want to get them ready. And I'm sure you feel unqualified for that. I'm sure Jacobed felt unqualified for that. But have them ready so that when they are figuratively, figuratively tapped on the shoulder, that they will be ready for what God has specially designed them to do. Uh, let's go back to Exodus chapter two. If you'll just have your, 
your Bible, maybe Mark in Hebrews 11, in case you want to look back at it. There's some key phrases here uh, about Moses. And when he came to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that implies then, instead of being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, that he wanted to be called the son of an Israelite's daughter. Right? He chose his Hebrew mom over his Egyptian mom. You say, well, how did he get an Egyptian mom? It's quite a story. I know that you've heard, the, many of you heard the story before, but listen to it today as though it was the very first time. All right? It's an amazing account. It truly is. And we're not going to get into all the ins and outs of it here today. But, but I, I do want to emphasize here before we begin to look at some of the text. And, and I'm not even sure how much of the text we're actually going to try to take in and, and, and such. But, but it said when he came to years, when he came to years, he had a very important choice to make when he came to years. And, and I, I want to say to everybody here that, that, well, you're here in the auditorium and, and I know that we have some children here, but primarily adults and, and we have some young adults here and there may be some that are right here. I mean, just like right where Moses was and you've come to years or you're coming to years and you got some important choices to make. What was it that helped him to make the choice to identify uh, with the people of God? What was it that Jochebed did that, that helped him for his God-given mission? And I, I hope this will come across as an encouragement uh, to every mom here today that, that God can use you to prepare your son or your daughter for their God-given mission. Godly people living in ungodly time surrounded by evil that was pervasive in the land. As circumstances had changed around their home, they still made godly decisions. You see, here's what, what you need to understand. We need to take into account here that there was a time when Egypt was favorable to the nation of Israel that was living in Goshen. And, and I know that many know, and I, I just don't want to take for granted that everybody knows. So if you'd allow me to do a little bit of background work here, I think it really does play in largely to what was going on. But of course, there, there is the, the uh, people of Israel that started with Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob. And then there was a famine in the land. And, and one of the despised sons of Jacob named Joseph, mistreated by his brother, sold into Egyptian bondage and, and lived there and was in incarcerated uh, for 12 years, but then became second in command under Pharaoh. I'm telling you, it's quite a story. Well, God used him to spare his own people, Israel. And when there was a famine in the land, his brothers that had despised him came and Joseph was there. And, and, and God used those turn of events basically to do, to do this, to not only save the people of Israel, but watch this, also to save the people of Egypt who would have with out Joseph, they would also have died in the seven years of famine. And so there was a time that Pharaoh honored Joseph. It does not mean that he endorsed Joseph's God, Jehovah. I mean, he was an idolater and, and yet he had regard for Joseph and he made a special place for him to live. And there was a good relationship between the Egyptians and the people of Israel and and it was through them that they were preserved. But if you look back at chapter number one and verse number eight, if you just glance at that verse right quick, then you'd see that there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Do you see that? The, the time had passed and, and with the years passing, there was a time when, when the Egyptians of that time did not know their Egyptian history. They did not know Joseph. 
They, they did not understand how God recognized or used Joseph to spare them. I don't know what bits and pieces of it they understood. Maybe it just means he didn't recognize Joseph, but it says he knew not Joseph. And, and so there's, watch this, hang on just a minute. I wish I could preach the whole message just right here, but I, I can't, there's, there's much more we got to cover. But there was a major disconnect between their understanding of how history really played out. And the new curriculum that was coming out in the Egyptian school system had been revised to take out reference to Joseph and to also do this to, to say of the people of Israel that they would be the oppressors. And thus the disconnect with their history changed the way that they viewed God's people and now these Israelites were viewed as potential oppressors and so as a result of that then, they became oppressed. Many have forgotten how God used the Christian biblical values in the history, in the shaping of our history in the United States of America. And God used biblical Christianity, I believe, to help start America and over and over again to save America. And yet the revisionists want to make a disconnect in our history and remove references to biblical Christianity and, and, and make it as though Christian people are oppressive people. And thus, in our nation, once again, people are judged by the color of their skin rather than their character. As revisionists have written curriculum. And so in such a society, all I'm going to say right here is this, that in such a society, Christian parents must be brave to raise their children to understand what is right and what is wrong in such a society that devalues Christian principles and, and devalues life and, and tries to distort things to, to, be, uh, to be oppressive towards those that, that, that stand for these values. And it was a dangerous time, I'm, I'm saying, in their time in the days of Amram and Jochebed as the traditional family was under attack and here's what they were doing. They were saying this, let's kill all the male babies, let's get rid of all the, the boy babies if it's a if it's a female born to an Israelite woman, then you can keep her. But otherwise, you take these male babies and you throw them into the river Nile. And you get rid of that life. They did not value life. At first, hang on just a minute, I'm going somewhere with this. At first, that was a hidden agenda. That's what Pharaoh told to the midwives. He said, listen, you do this while they're there and you, you get rid of these children. That was a secret agenda. But what was a secret agenda became an open agenda. And, and they were working that plan. But these Hebrew midwives, they feared God more than Pharaoh. Amen. And they valued life because God values life. God values every life, regardless of its nationality, regardless of the gender, male or female. God values every single life. And so these Hebrew midwives, they saved a country and a nation. God used them. And I think it's awesome because evidently they just kept populating. I mean, the people of Israel just, just kept having babies and they had male babies because by the time you get them going out of Egypt, there's more than just Moses that's been saved. There's a bunch of Male boys, well, male boys, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of males, there's a bunch of young men that's been saved. Hey, hang on just a minute, I'm telling you, uh, masculinity's under attack in America. 
And, and they, what we've got to do with God's help is save biblical manhood. Why did he do that then? Well, because then if you get rid of the men, then you've got the nation weakened. And if you get rid of the men, then the, the women will marry into the, to the Egyptian way of life. And thus there's an assimilation process that's going to hang on. Hang on just a minute. Don't think for one second that there's not some kind of an agenda, an evil agenda that's at work even in our own country today. And what God wants to use us to do is raise up a generation that will not fear the king, but that will, that not, not, I'm not talking about disrespectfully, but I'm talking about this, that would do this when it comes down to law and when it comes down to what God says, I'm going to go with what God says rather than what the king says. Amen. And value life. And, and even if our whole society just is disregarding the aged and the disregarding the mentally that, that are having struggles and, and disregarding the unborn, God still loves life. He does. And they did not allow a wicked society around them to determine what kind of home that they would have. There was a conflict. They knew that Pharaoh was opposed to the birth of Israelite boys, but they also knew that God said, be fruitful and multiply. What are you going to do? Well, they chose uh, Jochebed and Amram. I imagine they had some conversations and saying, you know, you think we ought to get married now? It's kind of a dangerous time to get married. Hey, it's a great time to get married. It's a, great, it's a, it's a, it's a scary time to bring kids into the world. They already had two, but, but now if they had another one, they knew, they knew the dangers that was there. Hey, do not, do not allow a godless society to determine how you raise your family. No. Saul, he was a goodly child. Well, what did they do? Well, God, I think, is merciful to uh, moms and dads to cause newborns to sleep a lot. Not all the time you'd like for them to sleep. But nonetheless, I mean, here he is. I mean, you know, maybe they've been able to keep him relatively quiet. And, and so now they're going to have to do something because the Egyptian guards are going to come and they're going to try to find out where are these male <laughs> these male boys. Well, where are these boys in the homes? And, and so what they did is they, they, she built the ark and, and it's not going to float down the river Nile. She was not doing that. She was just staging it there among, among what was growing at the edge. And then Miriam, his about 11 year old sister or so was off to the side watching what was going on. I mean, that had to be a scary moment, but I think what would normally happen is that they would place him there at strategic times of the day when the guard would come through and then they'd bring him home at times when they could. Are you following what I'm saying here? And, and so they weren't just leaving him there because they cared about him. Ironically, they put him in the river Nile exactly where Pharaoh said, put all the baby boys to drown them. And they put Moses in that water or near that water's edge to protect him and none other then Pharaoh's, I'm talking about the dictator's daughter. I'm talking about the despot's daughter. I'm talking about the, the totalitarian leader's daughter. I'm talking about Pharaoh's daughters came to the river's brink and saw this Hebrew boy and had compassion on him. And said, oh, look at this. This, I mean, come on, what teenage girl, young lady, however old she was, I don't know. But who, you know, she's drawn to those little baby that the Bible says was crying. You can look at it in Exodus chapter two. I had you turn there and never even had you look at it. But you can see there that the baby cried and, and she picked up this little, little baby boy and, and enter Miriam who very quickly said, I can find somebody to help you with nursing that. <laughs> and then Pharaoh's daughter said with one powerful word, go. 
And that one word, go, set in motion a lot. I'm going to call him Moses because I drew him out of the river Nile. Here they were trying to throw all the baby boys in the river. Here's Pharaoh's daughter. You got to catch the irony of this. Pharaoh's daughter who drew him out of that river Nile, who later on would draw the whole nation Israel out of Egyptian bondage. I'm telling you, there's a God on the throne. Even when wicked men seem to be having their way, there's a God who knows what to do and just exactly how to do it. And Miriam went back home and said, Mom, you're not going to believe what just happened. Pharaoh's daughter loves Moses. And she wants to pay you to pay you to be her mom, his mom. How about that? To get to be his mama and get a salary for it. Wow. I don't know how much time she had with him. I really don't. I don't know how much time, but, but the Bible says that eventually, I believe it's long about verse number 10 or so in your Bible, that it says that there came a time when she brought him to Pharaoh's home and, and he became Pharaoh's daughter's son. Everybody see that? Long about verse nine or 10, somewhere right in there. It's in the Bible. Yep. <laughs> and, and he became Pharaoh's daughter, son. <laughs> I'm having a time this morning. Anyways, okay. And, and he became Pharaoh's daughter's son. There it is. He's going to be raised in Egypt. He's going to be raised to think like an Egyptian. He's going to be raised to look with anti-Semitism towards the Jews. He's going to be raised to fear the gods of Ra of Egypt and the other gods and goddesses. He's going to be raised to speak their language. He's, he's going to be raised to understand their history, at least the revisionist side of it. He's going to be raised that way. But wait a minute. When he came to age, our text said, when he came to age, then he chose to not be called Pharaoh's daughter's son, but rather he chose. That means this. There came a point in time when he took all that he had been learning and he took all that he had been learning from Egypt and he took all that he'd been learning evidently from his Hebrew mom and he evaluated and he said, listen, I can have a rather wealthy, comfortable life living here in Egypt, but this is my people. This is who I identify with. Their God is my God. And he chose to identify here rather than here. But here's what begs the question, why? Why did he choose that? Well, I think Moses' mom and his dad, but this is not Father's Day. <laughs> You'll have to wait a month for Father's Day. I realize I'm speculating here. I realize that maybe, but, but I think I'm also reading the Bible because they feared not the king's commandment, but they brought him up and she had a span of time. And listen to this very carefully. She got to him early. She got to him early before they got to him. What I mean by they, I mean the Egyptians, the world. Egypt is a picture of the world. And before the world got hold of his thinking, she'd already taught him there's only one God. 
His name is Jehovah. There's only one God and he created all that is. There's only one God and you, you are a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they had some issues, but God helped them through their issues. Are you listening to me? She taught him Bible doctrine. She taught him Bible history. She taught him who they really were, even though they were living now in this land. She was like teaching him songs like this world is not our home. We're just a passing through now. She didn't know that song for real, but, but she taught him things. And I don't know all that she taught him, but, but I believe that she would tell him, now listen, son, in Egypt, they're going to tell you that you're part of some kind of a, of a God in the process and all these things. And it's going to get really confusing. And they're going to say this about marriage and they're going to say this about parenting. But listen, here's what God said. One man, one woman, one lifetime. I don't know all that she taught him, but she got him grounded enough that when he came to age, he said, listen, I'm going with what is truth rather than what is out there. Parents, I'm sure, I'm sure you're seeing the, I'm sure you're seeing it right now that to raise children for their future, I'm talking about for their future, you may feel like right now you're not doing very much because you're teaching them Bible stories and teaching them Bible verses and having them write out their verses and write out their verses and write out their verses. And it may seem redundant and it may seem like they're not really getting it. Oh, hang on just a minute. I've been around children's ministry long enough to know this, that even the boy that is the most rebellious boy in class sometimes chimes up when candy's involved and gives a great Bible answer because all the time I thought he was not listening, he was listening. I'm telling you, we got to get to him early. That's why we run buses because we got to get to him early. That's why we have Sunday school because Sunday school, we got to get to them early. That's why primarily it's, it's Deuteronomy 6 type living that his fathers and mothers are there and they're raising them up. And when you go in the minivan or you go in the truck or you go in the car, you're around the grill, you're around the, around the oven at the house or you're at the dinner table. Hey, there's a lot of theology that they'll learn right here in church, but there's a whole lot they really need to learn around the dinner table to learn about life and take it and apply it. I'm telling you, we got to get to them early because this world is working out its agenda against their very well-being. Moms and dads, I hope that this would be somewhat of a, of a wake-up call that you'd see. I've been entrusted. I've been entrusted with this little mind. I've been entrusted with this little life. May God help you today. Please don't lose heart. Just keep working at it and keep teaching them and keep hiding them from Egypt. Egypt wants to get to him, but you've got to get to him before Egypt gets to him. There's a danger, parents, that you've wired your kids to the world. Wired our kids to the world. What, what do you mean? I'm telling you, their cell phone is tied to Egypt. There in Denson sent me a text this morning. He does every, every single Sunday morning praying for you. And this Sunday morning he said praying that that God's conviction would come upon the congregation. And he said some other things, you know, about what preaching is supposed to do. And I, I replied back and said, hey, Brother Aaron, it's Mother's Day. You can't have any conviction on Mother's Day. It's supposed to all be happy. And he said, <laughs> yeah. But I'm telling you, moms, you won't be a happy mom. You won't be a happy mom if you let your children get a unguarded dose of Egyptian thinking and expect them to live for the Lord. I don't have time to go into it. I haven't done my personal research on it, but riding about an hour with Brother Will Berry, who's going to be here this next week, that's a youth pastor up there in Michigan. He was saying, Brother Jason, because I mentioned TikTok, that TikTok's not going to help your kids. 
And, and I, 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 I just said that by faith, knowing it wasn't good. But then he validated by saying, listen, there's other wicked things out there in Instagram and Snapchat and, chat, Snapchat and all the other platforms. There's wickedness, there's vile. There's vileness there, but he said, Billy Jason, here's what I did. I signed up for about five minutes, my wife there present with me, as though I were a 14-year-old boy. And he said, Billy Jason, you will not believe what came unsolicited in five minutes. And I cannot in this mixed congregation today begin to describe to you what he explained to me, but that is coming to the minds of a 14-year-old boy. I'm telling you, friend, listen to me this morning. I'm saying it because I love you. I'm saying it because God loves you and because he loves your sons and he loves your daughters. Listen, Egypt is trying to get to them. There's got to be a Jochebed. There's got to be an Amram that can cock a plan that says, listen, we're going to hide them right here. We're going to keep them from the world. And we're going to educate them in the ways of God before the world gets to them. And, I, and listen, we're not supposed to go off and live in some kind of compound somewhere. No, he was raised. That was his God-given mission to go into Egypt. But he had to have God's word and, and God's faith hid in his heart so that when he got there, he would not compromise. And I want to say to every young man and every young woman here today that you've had the privilege of a Christian education. You've had the privilege of, of being raised in a Christian home. There came a day when Moses had to choose that it wasn't just Amram's faith and Jochebed's faith. It had to be his faith. And I want to encourage you today, don't live for yourself and don't live for this Egyptian culture. You make a choice today that what has been instilled in me, I'm not going to cast off. I'm not going to cast off. I'm going to live this out and I'm going to honor God and I'm going to honor my parents. And I thank God that if you've gone down a road that is a wrong road, he can bring you back. Praise his holy name. But I'm saying to you today, before you ever get down that way, I want you to know in the authority of the word of God that it leads nowhere good. And a man that came to me every service and I, I, enjoyed becoming a friend with this gentleman. And, and uh, I, I, I think God is doing a, a work in his heart. And he said uh, he'd been to church once or twice. And then, and then uh, on Saturday, Brother Hightower visited him and he chose to come. And he was there on Sunday morning. And, and what he heard Sunday morning out of Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter number five, just preached the Beatitudes, just, just uh, determined to go there where we've been. And, and so he heard that and he came back Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And here's what he said to me. He said, I heard my daughter singing the lyrics to a popular song today. That's another thing Will Berry told me about. What's out there by way of the songs and some of the acronyms? Vulgar. Absolute vulgarity. And he said, I heard my daughter singing the lyrics. She's 11 or 12 years old. I heard her sing the lyrics to this particular song. And he said to her, do you understand what the words are to that song? She says, I don't have the faintest idea. He said, don't you ever sing that again. Amen. I think God's doing something in his heart. I think he's seeing now clearly what his God-given mission is, is to raise her for her God-given mission. Parents, that's what, that's what your God-given mission is, is to raise them for their God-given mission by keeping them from the ideas of this world 
and the values of this world and by instilling in them the values and the principles of the word of God that will help them to stand. But they do, they must make their own choice. That's my happy Mother's Day message. That's all I got. That's all you need. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, you got to work together on this. Probably some adjustments you're going to need to make if you're going to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Start with your own life. Make sure you're not adopting the ways of Egypt in your own thinking. Hey, along the way, there's adjustments Angie and I have had to make. We've had to talk through things and, and, and determine what we will allow, what we will not allow. And that's not because we are legalistic parents. You follow me? But it's this. I know I'm not there on my own choosing. I'm a God-called agent, just like every parent is, to raise them, not for me, but for Him. And I realize they've got to make their own choice, and we're not going to force them to, but, but, but don't adopt the mentality, well, I'm just going to let them think whatever they want to think, because that's America. That's Egyptian. That's not the values of America. Don't listen to the revisionists. True American history is that we taught what it meant to fear God and taught Scripture. I appreciate Brother Kevin Higginbotham that plays the piano. He also teaches the ninth grade uh, boys class, one of them. And, and, and I saw my son today. He was writing out his verses that, that were assigned in Sunday school. A bunch of them. Kevin's in there just cracking the whip. No, they write these verses out. They get to have a time to have lunch together, something like that. I, I, appreciate, the, I appreciate the challenge to write out the Word of God so that it gets deep in the heart. Because they've got a God-given mission. Someday they'll be figuratively tapped. And I don't know what that's for. I don't know what that tap's going to be. Hang on. Amram and Jochebed didn't know that Moses was going to be the one to bring them out of Egypt. They just knew to do what they were called to do as parents. And they let God take care of the rest. And it took. <laughs> and just like they didn't fear the king's commandment to destroy the baby boys, so Moses didn't fear the king's commandment. And he lived for God in an ungodly society. Things are not becoming more conducive to biblical Christianity in our day and time. The further we get away from our history. But the Word doesn't change. And God doesn't change. And He can help you raise your kids for His God-given mission. Let's stand together here today. Sure, thank you, dear God. Knowing that there are Families here today, moms and dads, and even grandparents that have influence, while they may not be in a place of authority, they have influence. And there are aunts and uncles here today, 
and older brothers and older sisters. I think about what Miriam did in the life of her brother, her three-month-old brother, Moses, that changed the course of human history. God, I praise you for it. And here we are in a nation that is quickly forgetting our past, revising it, spinning it, according to a socialistic agenda. And God, I pray that you would please help. As morality declines, I pray that Bible truth in the homes of the people gathered here today, that Lord, we would intentionally do what we can to educate and impress upon the hearts and minds of the people you have in our home to live for you rather than for self. In Jesus' name, amen.